Hello and welcome to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're excited to have you along, alongside with us for the Tech Talk of the Week. Uh, we are here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheaim.org or nachumsiegel.com. For several weeks now, I've been singing the praises of our app. Uh, if you haven't downloaded it yet on whatever device it is that you listen, make sure that you run and you download that app. Uh, as always, we are proud to be sponsored on this show by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. So today, uh, like most of our tech talk shows, we have an opportunity to interview somebody that we wouldn't encounter, I'd say, in the course of our uh, daily lives, just bumping into them and sitting next to them on the subway. We have with us Colleen Kasabov. Uh, Lynn is a co-founder and CEO of Protexting.com. He brings with him over 10 years of experience within the mobile space as one of the pioneers of the group text messaging industry as it exists today in the U.S. He specializes in mobile and web-based businesses and marketing strategies, most notably Protexting, a fast-growing enterprise-level mobile engagement and marketing suite of services. In addition, he is involved in Send SMS Now, a worldwide multi-million member SMS social community, and ScanAvert, an award-winning patent technology for detecting harmful ingredients in grocery products. Other projects include text messaging services such as Nightlife Texting, which was successfully sold in 2007. Mr. Kasbov has managed projects for media, sports, and retail clients, including HBO, Sodexo, the NBA, and the Prudential Center, amongst others. Prior to that, he worked as an independent consultant in the financial services industry, developing financial analysis models for a large asset management company for institutional clients and a private equity fund in New York City. Mr. Kasbov, Kalin, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. How are you doing today? Well, doing awesome. Very excited to have you on. We're happy to welcome you to Tech Talk. I know that we had an opportunity to get to know each other uh, in person not that long ago. And, uh, uh, you know, the second we met each other and enjoyed really a pleasant dinner together, uh, I knew that you were somebody that we needed to introduce to our audience. So, uh, so welcome to Tech Talk. Uh, I uh, wanted to thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for... Uh for having me. The feeling is mutual. Very excited to be on, and uh, I hope I can share some uh, interesting stories and knowledge with, uh, with you and the so, listeners and, um, you know, bring something to the table. Good. We, we certainly hope so, and, and we're confident that'll be the case. Just to walk you through, and we... we we're blessed we gain new listeners really on a week-to-week basis. Um, for the new listeners out there, and Kalin as, as a first-time guest on our show, what we try to do is frame uh, the world of technology, the frame of startups, the frame uh, of entrepreneurialism uh, in a personal way. It's uh, uh, oftentimes what we do and what you do is, is reduced to headlines. Uh, quick click through, uh, there's an exit here, there's a failure over there. Um, how do we make personal and and achievable uh, sort of the things that you do, the things that your colleagues do, and, and how does one view this as a career or even as a life's passion? So before we get into that from a detailed perspective, maybe you'll just introduce, I, I gave the, the official CV of what you do, you're not from here. Uh, you're, you're from Europe. Uh, explain to our audience, if you don't mind, um, what your background is uh, personally and, and how you came to America and how you got involved in, in the world of entrepreneurialism. Sure, absolutely. Um, originally born in Bulgaria. I finished high school there and then I uh, decided to um, come over to the States and uh, finish college. And... Um, Interestingly enough, when uh, when I first got to the States, um, I didn't really know how exactly I'm going to make it, uh, what's, what's going to be the path that lays before me. Um, came with $650 in my pocket and um, basically <laughs> knew that something needed to happen very, very fast. Um, so got my... Uh, First job as a dishwasher.
uh, my career started in the states. So you, so you came, you came from Bulgaria. You came to college. How, how did you decide? What, what about growing up in Bulgaria uh, made you think that you wanted to do college um, uh, here in America? So, um, um, being in Bulgaria, in um, basically uh, the time when uh, the regimes were changing, um, you know, I was. Uh, I don't know, fortunate or fortunate enough to actually be, um, you know, growing up in communism first, and then uh, um, when we got rid of it, um, this when you know democracy came in, and this when uh, a lot of uh, bad things started happening in the, in the country, and there were not that many opportunities at the time. Um, so. Um, America has been always uh, attractive to many young people all over the world, um, and it's truly the land of opportunity. So um, that's that's basically how I made my decision that um, I would uh, come and study here and um, explore the opportunities and see how, where life takes me. Did Did you know anybody when you came here? So. Um, um, I, I had a, a family friend of mine who already had been to college here, and um, he was um, uh, very helpful in, in showing me how things would happen and uh, what what is needed in order to move on with application and you know kind of uh, what are the steps that need you need to take and. You know, funny enough, and that may show a little bit of <laughs> age difference, but at that time there was no internet. Literally, you needed to learn what to do in a foreign country. Um, you just had to go to some sort of library, dig out books, and somehow find your way and learn how the process goes. Almost impossible, honestly, for a 17-year-old person. To understand really what are the intricacies to coming to a state and studying. So, my friend was instrumental in helping me understand how things should happen, and uh, he was extremely helpful in uh, getting me here. And um, um, I did I didn't know anyone, but um, he introduced me to uh, someone that uh, took me in for a couple of weeks before I can. Uh, you know, get uh, get my own place, start working, and uh, situate my school situation. Well, and and I mean, first of all, kudos to you. I, I, you know, many of our listeners, uh, um, that's the story of their parents or their grandparents uh, who came here, mo- mostly um, in more—I don't want to say more challenging circumstances, but to to a great degree in more more challenging uh, circumstances. Even if you believe that fleeing, you know, persecution. Um, but came to America for an opportunity uh, to have an opportunity. So you worked as a dishwasher in Denny's. You worked your way through college, and then after college, uh, what did you do? Yeah. Um, so basically, um, I I did graduate with finance, and um, this is basically what uh, what took me to New York City. Um, after working for the top asset management firm on an institutional level. Um, in Oklahoma, I actually decided to move to New York City and um, pursue a financial uh, career here. Um, and uh, fortunate enough to uh, to have been introduced to to a couple of uh, executives from the financial field in New York City. Um, I found myself working at a uh, private equity fund uh, fairly quickly. Um, which I did briefly, if I have to be honest, um, probably like not even a year, like eight months or something. Okay. And um, decided that um, I wanted to create something on my own. And frankly, ever since I can remember, I've uh, I've thought of entrepreneurship, and and um, I've always wanted to become an entrepreneur. Um, so when when uh, I met my business partner, 
um, everything kind of started unfolding from there, and um, both of us decided to quit what we were doing and just uh, jump in cold turkey into a totally new field of technology and um, see what we can create and see where we can, how far can we go. And you didn't have any experience in technology prior to that? No, no, not really. Um, the the very first semester of college, I my major was um, computer science, and that was pretty much the extent of uh, <laughs> the experience that I had. No, no experience in the industry itself. I just knew that um, it's it's something that provides limitless opportunities of creating literally anything that comes to mind. Right. And um, most importantly, creating something from scratch um, and, and you know, drawing it from early stages to mature business. So that's all I knew. And, I and, jumped and, into it. and, and so you, you found your business partner. What was the first thing that the two of you guys went to create? So there were two things that we created uh, first. One of them was an email marketing platform, which at the time, this was 2003, um, that was kind of the um, somewhat new technology that uh, a lot of the marketing professionals were interested in, uh, something that would automate the email uh, marketing process and create uh, uh, easy, no need for software, web-based solution for them. Sure. And the second, the second one um, was sendsmsnow.com, which was basically a community worldwide allowing people to send free text messages to cell phones. That, that to me was uh, super innovative. It was already kind of uh, in the initial stages uh, created uh, by my partner. So I jumped on it and, uh, you know, help, help, um, kind of build it into a more of a, um, real product and real community. And, um, those were the, those were the two initial products. So it just, just send SMS now for those of us who, you know, I, I'd say are, are probably the most recent exposure, uh, to sort of that idea is the, you know, the fairly recent sale of WhatsApp. Um, what, can, can you just explain to our audience, please? You know, sort of what the what, what's the point of SMS now? What was the what was the goal? What what, what differentiated you from competitors, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we have to remember that was uh, two thousand and three, two thousand and four. There were no smartphones. iPhone was not invented yet. There was no applications. Um, so. There was not really uh, competition, I would say, on that level. Um, the idea was allow people to just send free text messages around the world. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a great comparison. Literally, kind of what WhatsApp is doing now through an application, we just we did that um, thing through a web portal, a cloud-based uh, system. Um, completely free to end users, still is. Um, and um, at the time, it was pretty expensive, actually, to send text messages around the world, um, either international messages or even local messages. Yeah, I, re- um, I remember local messages were expensive. You know, the, just just as we're having the conversation, Colin, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know if it's a struggle, but to me, I find it's an interesting challenge. We're talking about cutting edge innovation um, cutting edge innovation that, that took place 10 years ago that today seems almost like ancient history meaning who who thinks that it costs any money to send a text message anymore you know what I'm saying to me it's 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 interesting I want to remind the audience that uh, you know we're, we're, we're listening to Cullen who is uh, uh, you know I think in and of itself an American success story um, you know, coming from Bulgaria, uh, coming here with only a couple bucks in his pocket, getting a job as a dishwasher uh, in Denny's, working his way through college, coming to New York for the 
world of finance, working briefly with private equity and then going out with a partner uh, in uh, sort of this email marketing world and then mass text messaging for free anywhere around the world. Uh, and these are sort of things that maybe just listening uh, we take for granted that, yeah, of course these things exist. At that point in time, if you were to go pitch somebody on any of these ideas, they might have either told you it was impossible or it was way too expensive. I, I, I'm curious, to ha- how, how did fundraising work for those ideas then? Well, um, interesting enough, uh, we actually never never really uh, needed to raise money. Um, I'm hoping it's because uh, it was innovative enough. Um, maybe it was uh, just luck being in the right time, right place. Maybe we were uh, smart enough <laughs> to be innovative enough at that time. But um, never really needed to raise money. We, um, we were able to uh, grow revenues quickly enough uh, we're um, self-sustained. Um, we had a good team of developers um, at the time. We had um, well about twenty-five developers at some at some point. Um, so we um, used uh, the power of this team to actually create a uh, custom development. Um, Custom development software uh, shop that uh, then we will take on design projects, uh, custom systems on the side of um, building the the platforms. So it's always been that we have had something that uh, made revenue to fuel those new ideas, and that's kind of the model that uh, we've kept throughout the years. And um, we never really uh, needed to raise money, which I know it sounds a little bit crazy. Most of my friends that are VCs or have raised money and have done um, have grown businesses um, are pretty impressed and uh, surprised that we are able to achieve sustainability without raising capital. Yeah, I mean it's 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 almost unheard of today for a technology company especially with so many developers. So if I, if I understand it correctly, you were able to uh, generate revenue and cash flow by, by having your developers do multiple projects? Or, That's correct. Or they were only focused on uh, – okay, so you, you had – you essentially had a development team. You helped fund them by doing custom projects while they were building uh, your infrastructure. Yep, that's correct. That's awesome. That's really cool. And where, where were your developers based? So most of our developers uh, were based in Bulgaria. Okay. We were able to build out uh, office there um, and hire the people working directly for us. We did not outsource. We just uh, did what uh, at the time was another <laughs> uh, innovative trend um, and basically created an extension of our office um, in a different country. So that helped us tremendously to uh, with the ex- initial expense. Um, so right. That's, that's what so uh, our structure and, was. And at that point in time, that was a incredibly innovative concept because you didn't have Skype to be able to connect your team. Um, before we get into how, what it was like then to uh, to manage a team like that, I want to remind our audience that uh, we're, we're uh, privileged Privileged to have Colleen Kasabov um, on today with us from protexting.com. We haven't even gotten there yet. So far, we're hearing uh, about innovation and entrepreneurialism and, and really, I think, a great American success story. You're listening to Colleen and I on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Um, you can visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street or check them out online at adorama.com. Just had a uh, was at a graduation party uh, for some uh, some teens going off to college next year. Uh, they wound up getting some of their graduation gifts from Adorama, and we're very pleased. So make sure you check them out at Adorama. Adorama.com. Uh, we here have our guest, Kalin, on telling us about his, 
his uh, entrepreneurial spirit and uh, the companies that he began with. And we just briefly left off with what it was like to run a team in the early 2000s internationally. Well, that's one of the things that we take for granted in that area today, such as uh, Skype or Google Hangout or instantaneous emails even. So what, what, what was it like and, and why did you think you could manage a team in Bulgaria while being here in New York? Well, um, it was uh, it was pretty challenging, but um, a couple of things obviously worked well in our favor. Uh, we knew the culture and we speak the language uh, in Bulgaria, so uh, we were able to um, do interviews over the phone. Um, we were able to pretty much hire everyone without really meeting them um, after being fortunate to to have the very first person who we hired was an extremely talented professional in the programming space um, and a very very bright individual very loyal um, and um, I think a lot of what followed um, was because of this one person the initial person that we hired um, and I guess I'm going to open a, um, kind of bring in, a, you know, throw a tip out there to young entrepreneurs that are listening. This, Please. This, this shows how super important is the foundation of, of your team. The first people that come in the door, these are the people that will set the culture and the tone moving forward. So because of, uh, this one person that we hired and we hired carefully, uh, we were able to attract similar talent, similar culture of uh, bright people and being loyal and um, hardworking. So everything trickles down from there. So I would say after this first couple of bright individuals, they become the filter for the, for the future um, team members so it becomes so much easier. So it's extremely important how you start, and it's very, very important the first people that you bring into your organization because they will set the tone from there. Right. It's, it builds the culture. It changes the mentality, and I have to imagine you know, how much more that that is uh, magnified when you're talking about an international team. Um, I think that's uh, – I can only imagine what it would be like to run a team like that and, and – your first people in set the set the tone uh, for that. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Okay, I like that. Um, thank you for sharing the tip. So okay, so you were managing the team in that direction. You built up uh, the company. Did you wind up exiting that company? How did that wind up working? Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, um, um, because. Because of the email platform and because of this SMS community that we had, then um, at fairly quickly, around 2004, we started hearing some of our clients asking about similar platform, but instead of sending emails, they were asking, can we send text messages? So then we kind of started looking into the trends. We um, we didn't see anything out there, um, and we felt like we we're in a great position to quickly merge both technologies and utilizing the user-friendly interface of the email platform. Combining this with the text message sending mechanism of the SMS community, um, we created um, our first text message um, marketing platform, which at the time was one of the first, if not the first, uh, platforms in the state for uh, uh, group text message marketing, um, which we did not. Um, we had a feeling that that uh, we may be the first, but um, didn't really uh, spend too much time confirming that. We just spent time building the business. So that's pretty much how it started. This is what uh, became uh, 
can you tell our audience, can you tell our audience, um, why, like, what's it, if I'm using email, I'm using text message, what, what's the advantage to using mass text message when, when the vast majority of people today have their smartphones? Uh, what, what is the advantage to doing what email seems to already provide as a feature? What's the advantage to being able to do it, um, uh, with, with a cell phone via SMS? Okay. Well, thanks for this question. It's, uh, almost, uh, too easy to answer. <laughs> there, there are two figures that are always, um, very self-explanatory. So basically, although email has its place, and I don't feel like it's uh, going to go away and actually is coming back as a, as a powerful marketing medium um, with rich, rich images, templates, and with the cell phones now being able to receive emails, it definitely has its place. Um, however, we all know how many emails we get every day. Um, I personally have about three to 4,000 emails constantly in my inbox um so how many of the emails that uh, you're not expecting from a business associate or a business deal you actually pay attention to so th- this basically leads me to the next uh, uh well-known fact that uh open rate of email marketing campaign is anywhere between 8 14 percent if, if you're very successful, it would be 2025. 20, where versus, uh, text message marketing campaign, open rates are between 96 and 98%. Wow. And this, is, this, this on its own is just, um, extremely powerful. Uh, with that being said, of course, it's a very different medium, much more personal. Everybody reads their text messages. Um, and I want to open a bracket here that um, we always tell our clients and we're, we're constantly educating the, uh, the business world. Because of this personal medium and because the way that people are inviting you in the most personal way to contact them, you have to be very careful uh, what you send, how you send it, so it's not intrusive, so it's not bothersome. So actually, it has value for the recipient. So um, um, basically, to go back to the original question, um, text message is just so much more immediate, so much more personal, um, and it's pretty much always read. So you you wind up with it's, it's a marketing dream, meaning if 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 uh, you send something out there. Uh, whether it's a billboard or an email, um, you know the the open rate or the impression rate is much less. The text message has a much more significant uh, participation rate in terms of what they'll pay attention to and care ultimately about. So that that's the marketing dream, but it comes with a. If I'm understanding you correctly, it comes with a significant challenge. The challenge is is not to abuse that right, right? to have been invited into. Um, Somebody's somebody's personal life, which is which is ultimately what text messages are. I mean, I I text with my wife, I email with my friends. It's uh, if I'm, that's not true, I text messages lots of people. But I'm saying that that would be if one were to use that as an overgeneralization. That's what you would caution people who use your technology. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we're um, we are. We've uh, also, because of this reason, we started really uh, working with our uh, clients on creative ways to how to incorporate uh, the texting technology and, and uh, marketing methods into their overall marketing strategies. Um, as, as personal as it is, the, the other great benefit is it plays well with, with others. So basically... Um, email still has its place. Social media obviously is very powerful and has its place. Um, mobile web is exploding and the text message just becomes a great way to carry an initial message, an initial call to action that you can further then take your, um, 
journey through asking them to download an app or asking them to visit a mobile web page um, or anything really that you want them to do from that point after receiving the text message. Now, do you see... Do you see a time where even the text message marketing becomes so intrusive that we find we have to find another alternative for communication and, and what that could potentially be? Or do you see filters on text messaging coming out uh, similar to what we would see on our email devices? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. Um, I think what what uh, what happened and what I've seen being on both sides, email and texting. Um, it's very hard to control the email, who sends your email. Um, obviously, we all receive them, solicited messages still, and there's not much that anybody can do about it. With the text message industry, um, we have to know that this industry is much m- more tightly um, controlled by many players, starting with... Um, the um, cell phone carriers, they are the first gatekeepers and where it's very easy for anybody to sign on solicited emails, it's, um, it's, there's a good and uh, total barrier in sending a text message. Basically, everything goes through a process. Uh, you do go through the carriers, you present your program and uh, this is the first barrier so only because of that reason it's very tightly controlled and then as as soon as somebody starts sending spam text messages they will be shut down immediately by um, by, by the carriers the second level is basically us the application providers we're extremely careful with who we let in as a client we monitor activity um, and we also educate and guide um, for compliance and for best practices. Um, and that is why you don't really see the inundation of text messages um, uh, similar to emails. And because of these uh, checkpoints and balances, I really don't see it getting out of hand. If anything, I see it getting more more. Um, controlled uh, education is already there. People understand. Business world understands how personal it is. Many of our clients, uh, especially the large companies, understand that it must come with strategy behind it. It cannot be just send thousands or millions of emails and hope that something happens. So a lot of this, um, I think, leads to a more intelligent um, and better way of communicating. It's no longer just about sending as many text messages as you can. It's more about who you send it to, why, how did they get uh, to know you, when they, when and what do they, did they join, uh, what do they want to receive. So it, it's really becoming a much better proposition for both sides, for marketers and for the recipients. So that sounds like... Like, and now, now we're going to get into protexting.com. Before we do that, I just want to remind our audience that we're listening here to Tech Talk uh, on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arye Lightstone. We have a guest, Kalin uh, Kasabov, uh, on today. And it's really been a fascinating story to hear not only about the companies that he's been involved with and the innovation that he's been involved with it and the time that he was involved in innovating, which I think are all fairly fascinating. It's, it's difficult to say in a historical context when you're talking about things that happened in 2003 and 2004, but it's important to be aware sort of the timing, especially with technology, and that interrupted my own train of thought, which wanted to remind everybody that you're listening to us either on jmintheam.org or nachomsegel.com. I will continue to plug what I think is an incredible app uh, that you can get in the iPhone, iTunes store, or on Google Play for the Android devices. Please go out, download that game. Get that onto your uh, devices, whatever that device may be. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Um, so before we get specifically into protesting, which is really what I want to spend the, the rest of our time on, Colin, can you 
maybe articulate, and I think you've said this, I just want to make sure it's clear to the audience. Well, what you've built is a technology company which enables this texting uh, to be used for marketing. Really what it needs to do or what it has done has changed the way that people market. It's not, okay, so I have free access to your cell phone. or That's not the key component. The key component is now that I have that access, I need to change my entire mentality of what I do with that access. Um, it, it, both the sensitivity and the, and the, the appropriateness of that level of communication because it really is a new way uh, to communicate with people that previously most marketers have not had access um, so if you if you can speak to that for a moment, and then we'll get specifically into protexting.com and some of the various different applications uh, that uh, that you've done and created. Sure, sure. So basically, um, the question has to do with kind of the evolution of uh, the technology and uh, access to um, content and access to people. Did I phrase that well? Yeah, that's great. That's great. And have you, have you, with the, the marketing companies that, that avail themselves of your platform, have they, I don't want to say have they struggled, but I'm saying, how have they come to grips with this as a different marketing medium than they're normally used to using? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I've seen, um, I've seen the progression, um, since 2004, and I've seen the way that, uh, the medium was perceived by marketing companies and uh, other businesses that uh, are inclined in using um, this technology and any other innovative technologies that come to to market. Um, so I think you put it correctly when you say, okay, we have now the mobility, we have the device in our hands, um, let's see what we do with it. Um, and I think the same question is pretty much um, was uh, in the minds of the consumer and in the mind of the marketer. Um, I think um, it took very little time to convince marketers that uh, the cell phone is uh, extremely powerful tool in the hands of the consumer. Um, so I think that's why the text messaging took off um, the way that, they, that it did. Um, I think for the consumer side, um, you know, remember especially the time with, before the apps, you had a simple dial function, you had maybe a calendar if you had a better device, um, you had a few more uh, things there, maybe one or two simple games. So for, for you to be interacting real-time with a brand, um, with some sort of game that maybe somebody's projecting on screen, um, at a live event or watching TV to send in a text message and to get something right away back that, uh, was directly in response to your action. I think this is what really captivated, uh, the, um, the audience. And it's the same principle that captivates today. It's still, um, if not more than ever, actually, where large crowds and stadiums or um, sports events um, are asked to um, participate in some sort of uh, uh, mobile voting. And as you're texting as a participant, you see everything moving on the jumbotron, you see your action, your text message actually move the bar, maybe paints a certain part of a picture or moves something else. It's, it's really rewarding. It's instant gratification. Um, so um, I think that this, this type of uh, um, instant action and instant reward has really fueled uh, the imagination of, um, you know, what, what do we do with the device? What do we do with the campaigns? Um, and as I said earlier, I think the next step that, um, um, has been pretty, um, interesting for us has been how do we now 
plug this into a more interesting um, user engagement? How does it become more than a text message? Um, how do we make it more intelligent um, so the um, the user experience is uh, is better? And that's kind of what is on our plate right now. Um, and that that's a great segue to protexting. I want to remind our audience, and we're going to hear what protexting can do for you, for your business, for your not for profit right now. And in, in a you know, we'll give uh, we'll give Colin an opportunity to sell uh, using his uh, his current. Uh, um, uh, company. It's protexting.com. Go to the website. If you're, if you're in front of a computer now, you can follow along as Colin sort of walks us through what he's created. It's spelled P-R-O-Texting. Uh, actually spelled out, not like you would text it. T-E-X. T-I-N-G. Protexting.com. And it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, Seems to be easy, user-friendly site. Have a chance to follow them on Twitter, see some of their videos, see what they've been doing. I, I like watching the the uh, uh, statistics at the top of the at the top of the page. Messages sent to date, how many campaigns have been run, how many brands uh, have used it. Certainly, it's a uh, it's a company on the uptick. Um, but with that introduction, Colin, who would use protexting and why would they use it? Sure. Um, so basically, protexting could be used on uh, many different levels. Uh, we have services that are accessible to the small businesses. Um, it's a plug-and-play web-based cloud platform that uh, any small business can uh, log in, manage themselves, and um, instantly create engaging campaigns that otherwise would take tens of thousands of dollars to to create with probably three four months of wait. So this is um, the biggest the biggest benefit that uh, it's uh, instant access to a technology that um, otherwise is pretty much inaccessible to uh, small businesses. On a larger scale, clients um, with pro texting, we're Really understanding um, they are their needs and uh, goals and uh, current marketing efforts, and um, we're building uh, custom systems um, as well as uh, custom campaigns um, to help them execute a long-term strategy and achieve goals. Um, and since you since you mentioned nonprofits, I'm gonna give a nonprofit um, campaign example, but just to mention a few other client types that have been very successful in utilizing the technology. The sports world has been really benefiting for a while uh, from the immediate um, action reaction that the text message uh, technology brings. The apps are still very powerful and are out there. But um, to have the instant call to action and the instant action, still text messages um, is the king there. Um, so sports, marketing and other agencies have been uh, big clients of ours um, incorporating the technology into their campaigns, their client campaigns. Uh, nonprofits, religious institutions have been big um, for us as well. And um, actually, um, on many fronts, protesting has been named number one uh, technology for um, for this type of uh, communication. Um, and uh, retail storefronts uh, is big, as well as restaurants and bars and clubs, comedy clubs uh, in particular, um, have shown tremendous return on investment. Uh, one client in particular from comedy space uh, has reported 1,000% return on investment after utilizing our our uh, technology. So on the nonprofit side, um, I've seen the power myself. Uh, it was frankly shocking. Um, you probably, Ari, I remember you here uh, hearing you at dinner that um, you are involved with. Uh, uh, non-profits and you do go to a uh, good amount of events, you may have seen some sort of call to action 
for tax to pledge or tax to donate. Right. We have, we have seen in um, um, global or national disasters where people would tax to donate five or ten dollars. However, there is a different sure. um, there is a different um, mechanism also aside of that that um, I've seen personally in action that was impressive that uh, kind of um, goes beyond the limitations of uh, this sort of text to donate what we've seen with the Red Cross there's a limit of 5 or 10 dollars per donation per text message right uh, which if you're the Red Cross and you can spread the message immediately on all TV stations all over the world is something that will help you collect a good amount of uh, relief funds However, if you're a local charity or a small organization or, or you're just simply at a tighter, more um, exclusive charity event, this may not be the best way to collect um, you know, uh, something that would be meaningful to actually help the cause. So the other side of text-to-text uh, messaging use for nonprofits has been the text to pledge. And this is where I've seen some incredible results. So basically imagine a big screen on the uh, main stage, a uh, gala reception where the uh, organizers of the event invite the audience to text in their pledges. So basically just by saying text your pledge and your name to this phone number, um, and we'll follow up with you to collect on it. Really sparks the imagination and uh, open opens the the heart of the people that are that are watching. So I've seen something recently in, here in New York, where through text message pledges, there were a couple of families that pledged upwards of hundred thousand dollars through a text message. Wow. So on one side where you have the limitation of, you know, text this to this to get $10, mm-hmm. now you have a pledge on the screen in front of the whole gala that you, your family name, pledges to donate to this cause $100,000. There's literally no limits to this. And the text messages kept coming, and everything is shown on a big screen behind the stage. So and so family, hundred thousand dollars. So and so family, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand. I was I was amazed. So it's uh, it's a new new way, but but essentially essentially what you're saying, if I understand correctly, that you're providing a way for something that is maybe cumbersome if it's interactive, like they would have somebody up on on the stage uh, soliciting commitments, and then somebody has to walk around. with a microphone for somebody or to turn in a piece of paper or whatever else it'll be, you're saying it could be almost instantaneous when you see it projected, when you see it um, up there in real time, that also lends to more people wanting to participate. And you can see that. I see how that would work in a comedy uh, fair. I can see how that would work in a sporting event as well. Uh, but in a not-for-profit, maybe, maybe you would be able to see a significant return on your money. That's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's much quicker. The system already captures the phone number that has texted with um, how much they have pledged and what their names are. So it's very very efficient way of doing of doing the fundraising. It saves tremendous amount of time. You have as a nonprofit, you have a chance to really explore many more pledges rather than just going around with a microphone or or taking. Um, you know, written written pledges, um, and also it gives you a chance to um, reward the person who is pledging by showing their name and pledge, but also spark the imagination of the rest of the audience. When mm-hmm. when people are seeing this type of pledges, I I truly believe their hearts are opening up and they're saying, you know what, if they can do this, I can at least. Maybe give hundred dollars, maybe give five hundred, you know, so forth. So, I think it's a very nice communal way of uh, of uh, you know raising funds in this uh, 
non-profit event. Uh, right. Event. It's 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 crowdsourcing. It's 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 momentum. It's getting things going in 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 real time, which is a. Uh, which is pretty interesting and pretty exciting. If uh, we don't have a lot of time left, and I wanted to thank you on behalf of our audience for taking out, you know, such a such a large chunk of time from your day. Can you share um, with the entrepreneurs out there, or family members of entrepreneurs, or want to be entrepreneurs out there, uh, maybe you know, just some of the one or two life lessons you've learned, or places where maybe you would get discouraged, but you don't need to be discouraged, and then and then share in you know just the last couple minutes that we have, maybe some of the exciting things that you think are going to happen in the not-too-distant future that, that you and others in the entrepreneurial world are, world are going to be taking advantage of. Sure, absolutely. I would love to. Um, I think the, the main, the main uh, life lesson that I would share with young entrepreneurs is truly be yourself. Don't be afraid of... Um, sharing your your beliefs certainly protect your values um, there there's always going to be deals to be made I think it's very important not to sell yourself short and don't, just don't take everything you know there um, I actually read something recently by Richard, Richard Branson I'm going to quote that um uh, business deals and opportunities are like buses. They come every 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> there's always going to be a next one. There's always going to be a next one. And I think you, you should just take the ones that you're comfortable with, not only from a business perspective, but from partners, uh, clients, um, people that are on the other side of the table. So I think that's, that's the number one thing that I think uh, I've seen. Um, be true to your word. And um, as far as uh, the future, we strongly believe that uh, mobile is just getting started. There's definitely more mobile uh, capabilities that are available to us. So the protesting team is uh, currently experimenting with with other channels, um, including the texting, of course. Um, social media is extremely powerful, again, if used the right way. So um, we're certainly providing some uh, social media engagement and marketing in to work well together, hand-in-hand with the texting. So I think um, these are kind of the trends that we'll be seeing, um, you know, kind of beginning the user journey through a text message, but then continuing on social and then some somewhere later maybe con- coming back to texting. Um, but that's what we'll be uh, um, on the lookout for new ways to uh, make the user journey more interactive and uh, more um, more gamified and, and rewarding way. Okay. I mean, look, I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's exciting. I think that, uh, that to me, it, it's interesting to have seen, you know, the, the history that you've, uh, that, that you've gone through, you know, both personally and, and the obstacles or challenges that you've overcome. Uh, I think that there's a great, uh, excitement for the American dream that you've been able to, to achieve and to accomplish. I know we're in the middle of the World Cup and I know that you're a soccer fan, so, uh, I hope that the people that you're rooting for, you know, pull through uh, in a in a positive way. Um, you know, the the whether it's outsourcing before people were outsourcing or getting involved with email marketing and text mass mass free text messaging before that was really a thing. It, to me, it, it demonstrates that uh, that uh, for a guy who was not a technologist necessarily came at it from a finance perspective and from a business perspective when you find the right deal with the right people uh, that there is significant opportunity uh, that's out there and for us it's it's very exciting to hear i want to remind our audience um go to protexting.com uh for your business for your not-for-profit for your community uh you never know when this uh this uh technology 
doing this platform will be useful for you, uh, for the companies that you're involved with, for the not-for-profits that you're involved with. To me, it's been a, uh, a really uh, uh, enjoyable conversation, Colin. I hope that, uh, that A, we'll be able to dine together shortly, uh, but that, uh, that we'll be able to follow your company and, and your career and your progress uh, in a meaningful way, and you'll, you'll keep uh, updating us in terms of uh, what's next and, and, uh, and uh, how things are going. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the time you've given me. It's been great sharing the story, and I hope um, it was useful for the listeners. I'm looking forward to seeing you somewhere soon. I know we have uh, a few mutual friends that probably will make it happen very soon. So uh, uh, let's make it a good summer and a good World Cup. Enjoy it, and um, good luck to all the young entrepreneurs. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Look, looking forward to, uh, to catching up soon and, and, uh, and, and hearing uh, further progress. I wanted to thank Kalin Kasabov for joining us as a guest today on the Nachum Siegel Network. You've been listening to Tech Talk. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachamsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store, please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Um, it serves as note, as, as I mentioned, Kalin is, is, is more than just a casual soccer fan, uh, intense and, and passionate. Um, one of the interesting things to follow in the news is uh, obviously the um, situation in Brazil, uh, uh, and it's been going on uh, more or less since they announced that they were going to be having the World Cup. That is a country that has a deep divide in between haves and have-nots. I believe that there are outstanding opportunities in Brazil economically in terms of uh, an emerging market, uh, um, significant emphasis on technology, obviously much in the way of natural resources. But what's been going on through the time of uh, this World Cup is the protests and the investment in, in things that uh, we know that most major events like this, the World Cup, the Olympics, they don't actually pay back. They don't they don't uh, earn a return on the, the major investments that the, the city, states, governments need to make uh, in order to host such an event. So that they bring value in other ways. But there was a fascinating article after the last Olympics uh, basically went through the the town's uh, – towns, major cities uh, throughout uh, throughout Europe that have hosted the Winter Olympics and even the Summer Olympics in some of the cases, but the Winter Olympics that take a significant investment in infrastructure and, and almost all the, the hopes and the plans of the follow-through never really materialized. It was a, f- a fascinating article, I think, in Time Magazine, but don't quote me on that. Um, anyways, the, the point is, is that one of the most positive plays uh, that have occurred out of this uh, social uh, – Lack of, uh, of of cohesion in Brazil is the leveraging of Israeli know-how and technology uh, in order to deal with uh, with all of the challenges that they have there, from moving people from place to place, from security, um, numerous other challenges, and, and you'll see time after time uh, with so far the successful conduct and, and efforts of the Brazilian uh, World Cup. You've been able to see much credit being given to Israel, and that's that's different than how we normally phrase it. We normally phrase it that there's a technology that can be outsourced. Here it's not only a technology, but it's also an expertise. And uh, that, to me, I think also gives uh, uh, tremendous credit. We tried to tie in our show on Tech Talk. Tech is not only about technology, but it could very much well be um, – could very much well be also about the knowledge that somebody gains by being involved in the world of technology. In this case, it was the expertise that the Israelis bring bring to the field, and, and you know, hopefully this will be a uh, successful World Cup, uh, uh, and the world events uh, certainly uh, never cease, unfortunately, to trouble us and to challenge us, uh, but we, we can take some, uh, some level of solace that, uh, that Israel is at the cutting edge dealing with uh, these challenges and, and trying to address 
them in an appropriate way as possible. So I wanted to thank everybody uh, for listening to us today on Tech Talk. Uh, this is RE Lightstone. We have been sponsored and continue to be sponsored by our dear friends at Adorama Camera, more than a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com. Visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Special shout out to our engineer ZK who makes the show happen and the way that it happens. You've been listening to us on the Nachum Siegel Network. Have a great week.